I do this for my culture, 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 culture. Welcome back to For the Culture right here on WEAA 88.9 FM and WEAA.org. Absolutely the voice of the community. I'm your host, Faraji Muhammad. Thank you so much for checking in and riding with me this evening. Folks, we want to switch gears because we want to have another very important conversation, which is this conversation about the latest uh, round of violence that we're seeing now between Israel and Palestine Again, folks. Now, the thing is, is that the, the, the big difference has been that a couple of weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, um, Palestinian, uh, excuse me, Israeli leaders created a coalition where they ousted um, former pre- Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who has been in power in Israel for 12 plus years. Well, 12 years, excuse me, 12 years. And during his 12-year time, You heard about some of the wicked things that were coming out of Israel, some of the things that were doing against the Palestinian people, and and just the relationships that the American presidents here have been having with uh, 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 Mr. Netanyahu. Now, that has changed. The coalition has ousted Mr. Netanyahu and has brought in Naftali Bennett, and now— it seems like Israel may be taking a different course, especially dealing with this situation with their neighboring country of Palestine. Maybe. But not so long, maybe 48 hours after Mr. Bennett got into the position of prime minister, bombs started dropping again on Palestine. As a result, as they say, according to them, based upon Hamas rocket attacks. Folks, this thing continues to spiral downward. Here to give us some insight about what we're seeing, especially in this latest round of uh, of violence, and more importantly, some of the new dynamics that's come out of this issue around the involvement of women to bringing black and brown Jews into the conversation to help to resolve this issue. We are talking to Laura Albas, who serves as one of the uh, members of the Palestinian Youth Movement. Laura, thank you so much for joining us this evening. How are you? We got Laura on the line. Sorry. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be back. Absolutely, Laura. Absolutely. Uh, so, Laura, talk to us a little bit about this change in leadership first in Israel. Um, how, how big and how significant was this change from uh, Benjamin Netanyahu to Naftali Bennett? Uh, one, I will tell you, it has only gotten worse. For Palestinians. Wow. Um, in the past two years, uh, Israelis were trying to elect a new uh, premier for uh, two—they had four elections. They were completely unsuccessful, regardless of the low turnout uh, or high turnout that would be um, of, uh, of voters. Uh, people just weren't deciding on whether they want to go right or far right. Uh, what has happened recently because of the assault on Gaza— uh, far-right extremist groups that are led by Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid, who are both sharing the new premiership um, in Israel, they were able to take on um, the position. As you said, a day after he took on the premiership, uh, he started bombing Gaza again because he saw balloons come out of uh, balloons come in the sky, and for some reason they are they became threatened by balloons. Um, which is which is hilarious. Now, let me tell you about what this means. Bennett is a far-right extremist. He is an American citizen. His parents are actually from San Francisco. Oh, wow. Uh, they, uh, they, are, they immigrated to Israel um, uh, uh, in the summer of 1967, after the 1967 war. Um, uh, sorry, in 1967, after the war um, in, uh, uh, in Israel with the, with, the, with the Arab countries. And he is... He's basically a settler. He, they took over a home of a Palestinian in Haifa, which is a city in the coast um, of Palestine. 
he actually came back to uh, to America, and he became an entrepreneur. He sold two companies um, for $245 million before he entered politics uh, in Israel, renounced his American citizenship, um, and decided to go into politics. He, became a, he, he was part of the education ministry. He has said, I have killed many Arabs in my life. There is no problem with that. Um, he has actually removed from educational curriculums in Israel any books or novels or any information related to interracial uh, relationships. One of the books banned was about a love story between um, a Jewish woman and a Palestinian man. And he said that youth should not be exposed to that um, because we should not have interracial families um, and that we should just focus on the national ethnic identity of one people only. Um, I hope that gives you a brief overview of who Bennett is and why, to us, we we are. This is more dangerous um, to Palestinians because he is not someone who is going to uh, make any concessions to any international uh, pressure. He believes that Arabs are uh, Arab children are little snakes, and he believes that uh, that we should all be killed. He will not hesitate to take on more land in the West Bank. He will not hesitate to bomb Gaza, as we have seen. Um, he's a dangerous man, and he should be called out uh, for the racist that he is. Now, 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 these are when you use this language to describe, you know, what he said. Describe these are this is language that can be found on public record, correct? Yes, correct. That you can Google and just Google. I've killed lots of Arabs, Bennett. You'll just find everything he has said. Um, Google him as a minister of education. You'll see. Um, what type of bans he has put on on uh, on stories of interracial relationships as well. So how does it work for now that, you know, here a country has been dealing with one man in the premiership to now two men sharing that power? How does that, how is that going to work out as far as you understand it, Laura? As far as I understand, Bennett's taking it on for two years and then he's switching with Yair Lapid. Um, Yair Lapid is, uh, he's a TV personality, he's a journalist. His father was a journalist. His, his mother was, was an author. She, uh, she wrote about police stories, police novels. Um, this man, in my opinion, is an opportunist. This guy doesn't have um, a, a firm position on anything. He just shifts to what, wherever the votes are there. He's a career opportunist. He's probably going to spend two years, the last two years of his premiership, and then he's probably going to get a book deal or something. He, mm. He's not interested in the good of anyone in public service. But he is also... Um, one of those far-right personalities, uh, he also believes in one um, national identity where uh, there is a Jewish majority in the country. He advocates for um, the two-state solution, but not because he wants to give a state to the Palestinians, but because he wants to make sure that he doesn't have to deal with the Palestinians anymore and he can just focus on, um, on Israelis. So let's let's talk about the you know the, the the change of leadership and its impact on the relationship that America has with Israel. Um, you, you know there were some great concerns when President Trump was in order was was in the uh, White House um, that people felt like his policies were quote unquote an abandonment of longstanding bipartisan U.S. policy um, turn in in regards to. Uh, relating to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, he didn't have—he really didn't want to do have much to do with it. He, he didn't want to really deal with it, um, as well as you know, not putting his support behind a, a two-state solution. Now that President Biden is in order, is is in power, say so you have 73 House Democrats who are urging the president to reverse these these Trump policies, and then at the same time. Um, to formally withdraw peace plan, reopen the U.S. consulate in, in Jerusalem, and insist that Hamas stop rocket attacks. They also are looking back at this idea of the two-state solution. Um, I know that you're working with the next generation of Palestinian leaders, but how are they seeing, you know, the, 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 the way that Congress is moving and urging the president to make a decision on this issue? One thing I would tell you is that um, Trump did publicly what Biden does um, behind the scenes. 
Um, the U.S. policy on Palestine never changed. It was uh, it, what, what Trump did was he announced to the world what he was going to do. Um, Biden is not listening to Congress. We've seen this in uh, previous weeks when Congress sent a letter to the State Department, when there was pressure and calls on Biden to halt sales of weapons to Israel. That made absolutely no effect. On the contrary, Biden came out and reaffirmed his unwavering support to the Israeli uh, uh, regime. In fact, uh, President Rivlin, who is a ceremonial president of Israel, he's ending his term next month. He is visiting the White House on Monday. Uh, and Biden is going in that uh, meeting. Biden is going to just thank him for his service and reaffirm the uh, the relation, strong relationship between the U.S. and Israel. Now, it's important to know that Naftali Bennett, who is the new prime minister, he is a Trump uh, supporter. He actually said when Trump was elected that finally uh, the era of a Palestinian state is over. We can now just take over whatever we want. Um, so we need to, you know, make it very clear um, that. I, I personally really don't think that Biden has any influence on Israel. Um, even before B Bennett came to power, um, Netanyahu completely ignored uh, uh, Biden's request uh, during the onslaught on Gaza um, to, to sort of uh, step back and, and hold, a, hold a ceasefire early on. Uh, Israel has no respect for America. Israel uses America for its money. It uses America for its stance, mm. but there is no respect to the policy. And as long as uh, the Biden administration continues to unequivocally support Israel, then nothing will ever change. We will remain on the wrong side of history. Now, there is change in Congress. They are shifting a little more um, towards uh, the Palestinians, their plight. Uh, they're calling out crimes committed by Israel. But whether that shift is going to expand or not, I don't know. One thing you mentioned, you know, they are talking, um, they're actually talking about reopening uh, the, the Palestinian Authority office in D.C. There's already a push by Republicans, and this hasn't been covered in the news, but you can just, you know, reach out to any, uh, to Grassley's office, for example. They've already sent a letter to Biden saying, that we completely reject any effort to reopen the Palestinian Authority's uh, office in D.C. because to them this is a form of terrorism. If you go back to a bill, uh, a bill uh, introduced to Congress in 2018 called ASCA, the Anti-Terrorism Clarification Act, uh, it talks about how they would like to um, uh, sue Palestinians and anyone affiliated with the P Palestinian Authority in mm -hmm. U.S. courts on charges of terrorism. Why? Because I might want to donate some money to my family in Gaza, and they would consider that me donating to terrorism, even though these are just my relatives. Um, they have complete, there's complete, there's complete ignorance to what's actually happening on the ground. Because of this bill, 20 students from Palestine who are studying at American universities in Lebanon, like the American University of Beirut or the Lebanese American University, lost all their scholarships that were rightfully provided by U.S. aid, mm. which aims, which aims to enhance uh, relationships with the U.S. They, they had their scholarships revoked because of this bill, because this bill designated these 19-year-olds, 18-year-olds who are studying arts, who are studying journalism, as terrorists, simply, be, sorry, simply because they are Palestinian. Uh, so that's something we need to keep in mind, that even if Biden shifts, which I don't think he will, even if there's progressive support in Congress, the Republicans still have an upper hand when it comes to Israel. Folks, if you're just tuning in to For the Culture here on WEAA, we're talking to Ms. Laura Albast, who serves as part of the uh, Palestinian youth movement here in America, talking about some of the latest developments in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict that's happening. We want you to join us in the conversation, 410-319-8888. You can also post your comments on my Facebook page at Faraji Muhammad as well. Uh, again, that number is 410-319-8888. Um, so, Laura, I want to get your take on, 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 on one part of this, because as this, you know, this, these developments continue to occur, it's like you're getting a lot of nuances. There are some new things that are happening. I mean, of course, the last time we was, we were, you were on, we talked about that uh, you had a number of Palestinian youth. Palestinian youth leaders like yourself and others who, who are saying, you know, enough is enough. Um, and, and that now— it seems like, you know, since that last, I would say, 
uh, round of violence that has occurred, you know, Israel has really been losing the what they call the PR game tremendously. I want I want to play something uh, that has come across that that the the I guess Israeli government has put out um, as a way to to try to turn the tide on the uh, pro-Palestinian sentiment that Israel is seeing happening across this world. This is a message coming from a black Jewish woman. And I want to make sure that I say her, her name correctly, uh, because she is uh, an influencer right there in Israel, but she's being asked to speak about her life as being a black Jewish woman in Israel. And she is a, a reservist. Um, she served as the Army Reserve Lieutenant of the Ethiopian Jewish uh, Army Reserve Lieutenant. And she has, again, of Ethiopian Jewish descent. And this video that we're about to play for you folks is called My Zionism. This is Ashigar Araro. Let's check her out. Hey, this is me the Zionist Israeli, the white colonialist settler occupier. When you describe Zionism as this white imperialist idea, you actively delete the history of black and brown Jews. You dismiss our stories, struggle and survival. You ignore the fact that the Zionist cause have built a safe home for Jews like us. When you think about Zionism, you probably think of Theodor Herzl, 1897, and the first Zionist Congress in Basel. But for me, I think about Abba Mahari, an Ethiopian Jewish monk, that in 1862, 35 years before the Zionist Congress, have led many of my community in a journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem by foot. The journey wasn't successful and many people died. But what I take from this story is the amazing courage of my ancestors and pursuing the Zionist dream of living safely back in their homeland. I think of my grand-grandfather, Hermias Sesias, that in 1925 has studied here in Jerusalem, dreaming of the day of his children being able to live here. Unfortunately, he didn't live to see his dream come true. When you describe Zionism as this white idea, what you're saying, the only history that matters is the history that you perceive as white. You cancel the history of more than 50% of Israeli Jews who live here who are not white. But don't get me wrong, I'm used to the fact that my history has been dismissed and minimized. But it's especially hurtful when it comes from people who know exactly how it feels. When your history is being tossed aside. When your heroes are not being remembered. But... That was um, Army Reservist, uh, Israeli Reservist, excuse me, Ashargar Araro, who released this, this video called, titled My Zionism. This was released on June the 1st of, of, of this year. Um, and, and I want to get your, your take on this, Laura, because it seemed like this video, which is, I mean, on the outset, is a black Jewish woman talking about her country, talking about the history of black and brown Jews, um, but it seems like the timing of the video is, is, can, can, can be deemed as being propaganda more so than anything else. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what you're taking from this and what does this mean for black, for black Jewish, for black Jews around, not just in Israel, but for around the globe. Of course. Um, so let's start with a couple of things. Yeah. You mentioned Israel was losing the PR game. Now, why, why is this, the timing of this video important? Because over the past few weeks, Palestinians have been successful in online campaigns in highlighting what's happening in Palestine. Israel's were unable to uh, sort of uh, break the, narr the, the true narrative that Palestinians have been putting out. So instead, they're using influencers, they're using propaganda to put out a narrative 
that appeals to a Western audience who might feel more sympathetic. It is insulting to use people of color as props. We've seen Trump do it when he was running in his campaigns, using mm -hmm. people of color as props to advance his, his electoral campaign. We see it in Israel. Now, here's the truth. 50% of Israelis are not people of color. 85% of the Israeli population are settlers from Europe, Hungary, and Russia. Israel is one of the most hostile countries on earth for people of color. A simple Google search would show that in the 1990s and then early 2000s, Israel would go to blood banks and throw away all blood donations from Ethiopians because they didn't want them to, 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 uh, uh, to be transferred to any other Israeli because they believed that Ethiopians had HIV. Today, Ethiopians, there are more than 16,000 um, uh, African uh, uh, asylum seekers in Israel that Israel wants to kick out. But instead, they bring out planes and planes of white American uh, settlers from Brooklyn and give them homes. Um, Bennett, Naftali Bennett, the premier, uh, you know what he said uh, recently about the, asylum, the African asylum seekers in, in, in Israel? He said these are infiltrators. We don't want them in our country. Mm. But he is open and welcoming to white settlers who want to come uh, and settle in Israel. And this is all public record. This is all public record. Um, Israel is a racist state. Um, it is also racist against brown Jews as well. Um, I, have a, I have a close friend. He is an Arab Jew from North Africa. And he says that the reason I was displaced from my country, my country in North Africa, was because Israel painted me as a Zionist operative. They told my government and my people that Jewish people in, in, in your land uh, are Zionists, and, and, that, and, and they purposely um, uh, planted bomb, car bombs in Egypt, in Tunis, in Morocco, and said that the Jews did it so that the people would revolt and say, we don't want them here anymore. But he will tell you, I am an Arab Jew. I was displaced from my home, not because people hated me, but because Israel didn't want any Jews to be uh, in the Arab region. So they can advance their own narrative of, look, they don't like us, so we have to have our own state. This is completely, completely false. It is really a shame that they are using people of color um, as props. And as I said, this is all public record. Uh, you can see this. Um, you can see this online. Hmm. Um, and if you're interested in reading the book of, of my close friend, his, his name is Mas'ud Hayoun. Uh, his name is, uh, the book is When We Were Arabs. And it talks about that experience of growing up Jewish in the Middle East and how the creation of Israel and Israel's uh, operations in the region, how it, how it pushed out Jewish Arabs from their own homeland. Mm -hmm. Hey, look, Laura, we got to take a quick pause. When we come back, I want to continue to have this conversation because we got folks that are checking in and, and you know, have some questions and want to share their thoughts about this. But I'm so happy that you were able to kind of speak to that because I don't think a lot of people knew um, about that history. And, and I think it's important that we, we do have a conversation to try to bring this issue home because some people say, oh, that's on the other side of the globe. But this, there, there is a connection uh, to, to the suffering of black, black and brown people here in America and across the globe. So I'm so happy that you shared some of that history with us. Folks, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Uh, I got Cozy and we got other folks that want to check in. You can do the same at 410-319-8888. 410-319-8888. Stay rotten with us. We got a lot to get to in the final 30 of For the Culture here on WEAA. I do this for my Welcome back to For the Culture. 
here on WEAA 88.9 FM and WEAA.org. Absolutely, the voice of the community. I'm your host, Faraji Muhammad. Thank you so much for checking in and riding with me this evening. Folks, we are talking about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, and as we're seeing in this latest bout of violence, that there are some new development that has come out of this issue. Um, we're talking about a change in leadership in Israel. We're talking about the fact that now that you have black and brown uh, Jewish voices that have been brought in as, an, as a way to kind of sway the what some would call the pro-Palestinian sentiment, uh, the PR campaign that has, uh, that has kind of grown across the globe. And we got other issues that we're going to deal with, the involvement of women. But I want to bring into the, uh, I want to bring you into the, this conversation at 410-319-8888, 410-319-8888. We've been talking to uh, Palestinian Youth Movement member uh, Laura Albas to give us some insights about all of these issues, and she's been breaking it down for us, giving us some context and history along with the, the, the implications of all of these issues on where we are today. 410-319-8888. All right, let's go to the phone lines and hear what folks got to say. Because, um, you know, I, I, the phone lines have been blowing up. So let's go to Lamont. Lamont, thank you so much for checking in and for your patience. What's your question for Laura? Yeah, well, how you doing? I'm good, you Lamont. Know, um, I, my question is, um, what is, what is it, or why is the United States so much, and I'm sorry, why is the United States uh, so aligned with Israel? I, I Back when I was in school at Morgan. Um, I did a paper on the, the um, on the uh, peace agreement, which ultimately led to the assassination of Rabin between uh, the Palestinians and Israel. And I found some interesting things out about the history of the, the nation of Israel, but I never could understand exactly why the United States is so deeply invested in Israel, given the fact that we have other allies, and why do we turn such a blind eye? Because to me... The only fair thing to do was to have a two-state solution, mm. but um, I don't get what what's behind that. Could you do you could you explain that, Laura? Uh, thank you so much for that question. Uh, you know, there there are multiple reasons why it aligns with Israel, um, but one of them is um, you know. America wants a foothold in the Middle East. And what better way to have a foothold than Israel, which is one of the, uh, you know, biggest militaries or most powerful militaries um, in the world. Uh, that's one hand. The other hand, Israel has a lot of tech relationships, tech companies, uh, and relations with the U.S. and Israel. A lot of um, a testing of weapons between the U.S. and Israel takes place. Uh, Israel and the U.S. also exchange uh, police trainings um, and, and intel uh, regarding how uh, militarization and policing is. So there, there are multiple aspects, but these are two that I can share with you uh, specifically. Right, right. And, and, and I mean, <clears throat> this is this. And, and when you look at, um, I would say, foreign policy, this union of Israel and the United States has been, I would say, a relationship, Lord, that has been um, well-protected, regardless of anything else that may be happening around the globe. The union between America and Israel is going to stay tight and close, as far as I can see it based on my understanding of history. Have you ever seen this type of relationship between two countries, like, like the one we're seeing between America and Israel? Honestly, you know, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, but what, what I can tell you, you know, the relationship between Israel and the U.S. is protected by a lot of Congress people, senators. Um, the Israel lobby in the U.S. is very, very, very strong. It's very mm -hmm. difficult to oppose them. A lot of campaign donations into Congress um, uh, come from the Israel lobby. So it's very difficult um, to to oppose <laughs> any policies on Israel, but whether two countries have had a similar strong relationship, I don't know. Uh, what I do know is that this relationship is very strange because in many instances, as I mentioned, Israel does not respect U.S. policy in many instances, and yet the United States continues its unwavering support. 
why is that? Does the U.S. not have self-respect for its own stance in the world? Mm. And, and just for those who don't know, how much money does the United States of America give to Israel each and every year? Um, more than $3 billion of military aid alone, annually. $3 billion more uh, of military aid. This is, this is um, aid that continues to go into, you know, building the, the military infrastructure of Israel. But most importantly, it is money that the taxpayers of this country— is uh, that pays out each and every year. Exactly. And not just that, there are many charities that are founded in the U.S., like Ataret uh, Kohanim and Nahalat Shimon, that are NGOs, 501c3s in the U.S., tax-exempt, who send millions and millions of dollars to settler organizations in Israel to, mm-hmm. to, to kick people out of their homes and take over their land. So imagine we're paying taxes that go to the military, and then there are organizations that are funding settlements in Israel that don't pay taxes at all because they're registered as charities. And they're in New York, they're in Delaware, they're in the Bay. Mm. And how much money is given to Palestine from America? Not a lot. (laughs) Not a lot, honestly. Uh, Maybe a, a couple million dollars for humanitarian aid, and that's another issue, right? So they, what they say, oh, we're going, we're going to give this amount of billion to military aid to Israel, but hey, we're going to go give a couple of millions to humanitarian aid because they're trying to depoliticize the situation in Palestine. They're mm-hmm. trying to pretend that Israel needs to defend itself. Well, against who? And oh, Palestinians, you know, they had a couple buildings blown up. A couple hundred people died. We should probably send them some money to rebuild, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Why are you funding the same party that is destroying the buildings of the of the party you are funding to rebuild? It, it makes absolutely no sense. Mm. Let's go back to the phone lines. I'm glad, Lori, that you just... I just wanted to put that out there for those who don't know. 410-319-8888. Donna, thank you for your patience. What's your take? How you doing? I'm good. How are you, Donna? Pretty good, and your guest is excellent. Um, first of all, um, the original Jews are in Africa. Um, they, the original Jews, um, I think it's from Ethiopia, the black Jews, that the ones that were original, who spoke the original um, form of Hebrew, they are in Africa. And the, Israel um, shipped them out when there was upheaval going on in that country. I'm not sure it was Egypt. I think it was. No, uh, um, Ethiopia. I think it was. And they shipped them to Israel. But what I understand, a lot of the older um, African um, um, Jews wanted, went back because they were discriminated against. They um, didn't want the Israels didn't want them to speak the original form of Hebrew. Um, so they asked to go back. They, I'm not sure if the younger people, the younger Jew, um, black Jews that are went back with them, or are they still in Israel. But my um, other point is um, what, what Netanyahu and his people, Netanyahu is a white supremacist. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you listen to him, mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I, I mean, he. when I listen to Netanyahu, I mean, he looks, I mean, he, he speaks like he was some of our white supremacists in the South. I mean, he's so adamantly, his hatred for the Palestinians is so deep as if he hates black people. I mean, I just could not seeing and listening to this man and hearing the hatred he has for a group of people of color. Uh, my final point is, and I wanted to ask your guest, what is the solution? I mean, because a lot of that money that goes to Israel um, is coming from African-American money. Um, and not a lot of African-Americans uh, support money going to Israel. And this is cool, whites, too. Um, the white Americans, too. Uh, so my question is, what can Americans do? I mean, I, I'm not against the Jewish population at all, because the youngest, there are younger Jewish organizations in Israel that are against what is happening in their country as well, because of the atrocities. Right. So my question is, what are those groups doing to get the true word out? What are Afro-Palestinians um, and other uh, people of color in other countries doing to try to get the true word up, just like we're doing in this country with, 
you know, trying to explain to white Americans about white racism in this country because, the, you know, deception and lies are still perpetuating here. It's happening there as well. So yep. I wanted to get to talk about that, and I have to listen. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Donna. Um, uh -huh. um, and, and Laura, especially that part about younger Jews who, who are seeing these atrocities on their side and, and, and want to help to to bring some justice to this, not for the people of Israel, but for the people of Palestine. What, what's happening there? Of course. So if, I think to your caller for bringing all these uh, points, she is right. Um, Ethiopian Jews uh, sought asylum in Israel because of famine and civil wars. But what were they faced with in the past 10 years was um, Jewish uh, Ethiopian women were injected with contra contraceptives without their knowledge, and if they refused the injection, they wouldn't be allowed entry. Um, they faced a lot of discrimination, and they continue to face discrimination, whether it's in employment or housing or just bringing over their families from Ethiopia. So that's, that's a huge problem. So she's right in saying that they have faced a lot of discrimination. What can Americans do? You can call your congresspeople and express your concern about what's happening in Palestine. You can vote uh, for progressive uh, uh, congresspeople or, or anyone who's running for office who recognizes that Israel is a settler colonial state. One thing she mentioned is that, you know, Ethiopian Jews, there's a lot of Ethiopian Jews who are religious. The majority of, of, of uh, Israelis are not uh, practicing, uh, they don't practice their religion. In fact, uh, Yair Lapid, who is sharing the premiership with Nathalie Bennett, has made a lot of derogatory comments towards religious Jews. He has mocked them uh, publicly. Uh, those who are leading the parties in, in, in the Knesset, which is the Israeli parliament, are not even religious Jews themselves. So they are using they are using the religion and they are using the faith of people who are truly faithful in order to expand a settler colonial project. What that means is more land, more Palestinians kicked out. Um, as you mentioned, a lot of young Jews in America have been mobilizing uh, uh, in support of Palestinians and against uh, uh, Israel's crimes. Of them are Jewish Voice for Peace. In fact, in New York, uh, some of the members, some of the young Jewish members were arrested by the police because they were protesting Israel. Um, so I am I'm very hopeful with all the American Jews that are continuously uh, educating um, other Americans about the reality of what's happening in Palestine from their perspective uh, and how they see it as Jewish people themselves, because Judaism is not Zionism. To be a Jewish person does not mean that you are going to kick people out of their homes. Mm -hmm. On the contrary. And, and to add to that, you know, my great great grandfather married his Jewish Palestinian neighbor. We have there, this is not a religious um, conflict in any way. This is an issue of an occupation. And I think that needs to come across to all listeners, to everyone who is tuned in uh, to learn about the Palestine uh, uh, Israel situation. Uh, it is not a religious conflict, it is an occupation of a land of indigenous people who have been there for, for many years, who are being kicked out of their homes in the name, in the name of a religion that these people don't even practice. Right. So, That's a good yeah. point. That's an excellent point. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Let's go to Cozy. Cozy, thank you so much for checking in. What's your take on this? Hey, Faraji, how you doing? I'm fine, Cozy. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. You know, I caught the tail end of this conversation I've been waiting in, man. Uh, I'm one of very few black men that can really tell you much of, a lot about this. Uh, first of all, as you probably heard before, the greatest thing that the devil has done is convince everyone that he don't exist. The greatest thing that the Israelis have done is convince everybody that they're the victims. And they're not the victims at all. Uh, they've, they've infiltrated the American government the banking system, the um, the uh, 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 what is it? The, uh, uh, the the place that prints the money. The you know treasury. they uh, they got a hold on America, the American government, and all. That's why we're giving them ten billion dollars a year. Three. You know because uh, the Federal Reserve. Now, no, the Federal Reserve. Yes, sir. Ask yourself when's the last time what uh, a a Christian has been in charge of the Federal Reserve. They were kicked out of over 200 countries since 1905. 200. Ask yourself why were they kicked out of 200 countries? 
They, they originally were Bolsheviks in Russia. Mm. They tried to overturn Russia. They were kicked out of Russia. They were kicked out of Russia. And then he spread it to the rest of Europe. They wouldn't be in Israel if it wasn't for the Belfort Declaration. Mm. If it wasn't for the Belfort Declaration, they wouldn't be in Israel. They, they were given that by uh, the British guy. What's his name? Uh, uh, Lord Belfort. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he gave them land that wasn't even theirs. That's why they're in there. Our people, the black Hebrews, Yeshua, who, which was Jesus, because the letter J wasn't even invented back then. It was Yeshua. He, you know, they were, you know, they were chased into uh, Egypt and out of Egypt yeah. to Western Africa. So, so <laughs> when you when you see. We played that clip of the black Jewish woman, the army of the Israeli reservists. When you see that type of demonstration, it, it, I mean, are you, do you feel like she's being used, or is she? Is this a woman? I mean, what, what, should, what are your feelings around it? Uh, that's exactly what it is. I mean, I, I'm glad, you know, and I, before I don't forget this part, I'm so glad Netanyahu, or I used to call him Netanyahu, is 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 no longer the prime minister. Mm-hmm. He was so he was so much of a savage and a racist. He was still pissed off because Idi Amin had killed his. Uh, remember when he tried to invade Entebbe to get those uh, the, the Jews out of uh, Uganda, mm-hmm. and his brother was killed doing that uh, mission. Yeah. So he was vowed, you know, to be even more ruthless, especially the people, the people of color. Yeah. He want any, anybody that goes into Israel now, and this, this woman can tell you, any female that goes into Israel now that was from Africa, they made them take that uh, Deprivera so they couldn't get pregnant. Yeah, yeah, well, that's it. You know, hey, Cozy, so, I got I to gotta stop you right there because I want to oh, make need sure to bring get... in I appreciate you, though. I appreciate you. And, 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 and Laura, when we, when we hear about that, it's... For me, you know, wanting to have a, a, a balanced conversation about this issue. And, and, and it's like, okay, how do, we, how do we use this platform? How do we use this time that we have together, Laura, to have a balanced conversation? For example, Cozy brought up the, the fact of some of the, the, the atrocities that were taken against um, black women in, in, in Israel with, with birth control. There was a piece that was, um, you know, that was written about the involvement of women in this whole thing. I want to share with the for, with our audience that there was a. Uh, uh, let me see if I can pull it up very quickly. But when we there, there, there is the the talk that when you look at what can be done to change the course of the way that this whole conflict has gone. The big, quote-unquote, radical idea for future Israeli-Palestinian peace talks, according to the Zulat think tanks, Jerusalem from a gender perspective and a human rights point of view report, was the, and this is a report that was developed as one of the events worldwide marking 20 years since the adoption of the UN Resolution of 1325, which is the landmark Security Council resolution that addressed the impact of armed conflicts on women and the importance of equal participation for women in conflict resolution, peace building, peacekeeping, and post-conflict reconstruction. According to their report, they found that uh, the the prospective solutions of all of the people that have been talking about this big conflict between Israel and Palestine had one thing in common, that women have almost never been directly involved in their development. Women are not at the table. Women have been the victims of this, uh, of this occupation, the brutality. Women have been the victims of sexual assault, all of those things. But women have not been a part of the peace-building efforts. As a young woman, a young Palestinian woman, talk to us about what does that mean for a young sister like you? What does that mean for young black women, brown women across the globe? Even what does that mean for young Jewish women? What does that mean for this conflict? Thank you so much, Faraji, for that. I know we're running out of time. So before I answer that, just a quick thing to make it very clear. Um, We have to be very careful not to confuse legitimate opposition to the apartheid state of Israel with anti-Semitic myths. Uh, The caller unfortunately expressed the latter. 
While IPAC and other elements of Israel, the Israel lobby, do exert a lot of influence on American politicians, mm -hmm. they're not alone. There are radical evangelicals, there's the gun lobby, the tobacco lobby. There are many powerful groups in America that try to use campaign donations to push politicians in one direction. Again, this is not about religion. This is about solar colonialism. It's about a state uh, that is imposing con discriminatory conditions against Palestinians, against people of color, um, and taking their land and their homes. Now, to answer your question specifically, women are not on the table because women are on the ground. Uh, one thing we need to be clear of, we are not working towards sitting on the table and negotiating with Israel. How do you negotiate with your oppressor? You can't negotiate with your oppressor. Hmm. During the uprisings in 2000, 1980s, even recently, women have been leading most of these uh, revolts. Even in the United States, you see all the protests that took place in Detroit in D.C., in Baltimore, they're all led by women. They're all, they're with the mic. They're on the ground running around making sure the community is safe. They're the ones giving the speeches. They're the ones delivering the petitions. Uh, in Palestine in the 1980s and 2000s, um, while men were being arrested, where they were being killed, they are being taken away, women have taken the responsibility of not just being heads of families, but also leaders of the revolution. They're the ones who are smuggling messages around. They're the ones who are organizing. They're the ones who are making sure uh, that the message of us calling for our liberation comes through. There are a lot of women who are in leadership positions in uh, some parties in, in, in Palestine. But something that we need to take into account is that women in Palestine and, you know, everywhere as well, um, they're not just fighting um, the occupation. They're not just fighting their oppressor. They're also fighting misogyny. They're also fighting patriarchy and, 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 and uh, the society that imposes on them that they cannot leave the house after a certain hour, that they're going to be, be beaten if they are seen doing something that a man doesn't like. So we have, we have that problem. We have that struggle that we're not only opposing hey we our land is being taken mm. we're being discriminated against but we're also women and we're being told not to engage um this is shifting there's a lot of uh, uh women groups that have come out in in palestine uh to say that you cannot have your liberation without female liberation you cannot have a revolution without women because in many ways women have held and carried revolutions on their backs when men were being arrested and killed. That's something we need to keep um, in mind. What it means for us, uh, honestly, um, especially in the recent, um, the recent momentum we have seen, I'm, I'm proud of all my sisters, not just the Palestinians, but also the brown, black, and indigenous women who have come out with us in the mm -hmm. U.S. They have truly shown that you do not need to be Palestinian to call for freedom. You do not need to be a man to call for freedom. We are as capable as everybody else. One thing I would mention as well, because what you mentioned about, you know, the radical idea of having women sit on the table, you know, Israel has female soldiers. Israel has female heads of, of, uh, of parties in the Knesset. Yeah. They have equally committed atrocities as the men. They have equally made derogatory comments as men. They have equally committed crimes as the men. They have called our children little snakes. They have uh, they have uh, beaten women and broke their arms in the streets. Being a woman in power doesn't change anything. Okay, you added a woman in power. What's the big deal? It's what they stand for. And Israeli women, like Israeli men, like the Israeli system, they do not stand for justice. Mm. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. So, Laura, what's, what, what, what do we take from this, 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 these latest developments? What do we take from this, this conversation? What do you want people to walk away with? Because we know, like, like sisters and others like yourself who are working on the ground with the Palestinian youth movement are still trying to, you know, I feel like we're, we're still trying to do some, some, you know, teach the history of this conflict. Uh, there, there's still some, like, a lot of, you know, 101 that's happening right now. But this conflict is moving in a lot of different ways. It's evolving very fast. So how can people um, listen to this today and say, you know what, I may want to, you know, get involved. I, let, me, let me try to do something to help. You mentioned at the beginning, uh, call your, 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 your Congress people to get them involved. Would you recommend any other um, action to be taken outside of that? Yes. Well, one of them is to listen to your show. Um, it is, you know, as journalists like Hugh Farage who are providing spaces to talk about this even after the hype has gone off. 
Um, don't stop talking about Palestine. Don't stop listening to Palestinians. That's how you learn more about what's happening on the ground. If you cannot call a representative, if you cannot go to a protest, we're actually having one on Monday at 3 p.m. at the State Department. Uh, if you're going to go to a protest, then read. Uh, read, read books. Read stories, watch Palestinian films. There's a lot of culture and history uh, behind uh, the situation in Palestine, and it is it is so much it is so much more hopeful to humanize Palestinians and talk about them as the distant people um, that are in some land being oppressed. Uh, one particular person I would recommend, and and I, I don't know if he's in the curriculums in America, but Edward Said. Um, Edward Said has written a lot about Palestine. He's written a lot about Orientalism. He's a good recommendation to read. So if you can't call a congressperson, you can't protest, listen to shows, watch movies, read about Palestinians, and just learn, because that is more powerful than anything, to be informed. There it is. There it is. Laura Albas of the Palestinian Youth Movement. Laura, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for giving us your insight for the latest developments out of Palestine-Israel conflict. And most importantly, just really giving us some inspiration. I think that 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 it's along with this history and this information is about inspiring people. And, um, you know, I, I would like to see some real justice happen within this conflict but I, I also recognize that you know that we may be far off Laura we it may it may be years down the road but it's good to know that people like yourself and others are on the ground constantly pushing this to to, to not forget about the significance of this conflict and the implications that it has on other world affairs so thank you so much for the work that you're doing and and being a strong voice for us to turn to Folks, that was Laura Albas from the Palestinian Youth Movement. Folks, that's going to do it for me. I thank each and every one of you for joining me both online and on air. I really, really do appreciate it. Um, you know, we are going to continue to have those conversations about what's going on in that part of the world because it's very important. And my hope is, is that we can continue to make the connections between the struggles of, of those folks over here with the struggle of us over here, over here over there and with our struggles over here that way we can see that even in the midst of our differences and nationalities and boundaries and borders and and all in culture that essentially we're still fighting for the same thing freedom justice and equality life liberty and a pursuit of happiness and that we are trying to do this work take our work to the next level where we're not just seeing ourselves but we're seeing us as all part of one big chain called humanity folks that's going to do it for me i thank my team i want to thank michael ramos i want to thank my man dre day and my producer demi goff stay tuned up next is lolo within the groove as always never be afraid to challenge what's wrong stand for what's right while being yourself in the process god willing we'll talk tomorrow for another exciting edition of for the culture right here on weaa 88.9 fm absolutely the voice of the community remember baltimore do more but be exceptionally good for the culture. Peace.